All right. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there uh, today. My wife was like, is that kind of weird that you're celebrating yourself today? And I was like, yeah, but I'm going to celebrate. Anyway, um, no, but, uh, I, you know, I was just thinking about uh, this morning and, you know, fathers, dads, I want to tell you this, that you matter. Uh, you matter a ton. And then what you do matters a lot. Proverbs fourteen twenty six says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. And so uh, dads, I want you to know that we're praying for you. We're praying God's favor blessing uh, and just courage and strength over you as you uh, fulfill that role that of, of dad today. And in, uh, in, in, in typical Father's Day fashion, uh, we have a gift for you. It's just not here yet. Uh, there was some sort of shipping error that happened. I, I don't know, but uh, we had a little something for you today. Uh, I swear this isn't a bait and switch kind of thing, but if you come back next week, uh, we should have just a little something for you uh, today. So uh, anyway, so happy Father's Day. Glad you are here. Uh, Jonah chapter four is where we're going to be. If you want to pull out a Bible this morning or open up on your app, we're going to be wrapping up our series in the book of Jonah. You know, I was thinking about this, this series in the book of Jonah and, you know, it's, it's a kid's story. So often we think about it in, in that way. But, uh, to me, I, I kind of think it more like transformers, right? Some of you guys were kids in like, you know, eighties, nineties, 80s, 90s kids, raise your hand. This is interactive time, right? So I'm going to try something to see if you uh, kind of can, can track with me here. Complete this, this, this sentence. Transformers. More than meets the eye, right? That was like the, that was the big thing, right? That was the, the logo and the slogan. I feel like that's how Jonah is. Like when you read it just in, in this kind of passing, it's like, okay, disobedient guy, water, fish, vomit, guy goes as we're supposed to do, people repent, dude gets angry. Okay, got it. Don't be like Jonah, right? I mean, that's kind of like at the end of it, that's where we are. But when you dive into it, there's really more to it than I think what just initially maybe meets the eye. And we've been looking really at the mercy and the grace of God in the life of Jonah and in the story of Jonah. And so we, we left last week with Jonah um, uh, seeing that God delivered the Ninevites from uh, judgment that was coming their way. And so now we're going to pick up in, in chapter four, we're going to see really how did Jonah respond to that? And what does God have to say to us today? So if you'll stand with me, Jonah chapter four, we're going to read this whole chapter. It's only about 11 verses. Uh, at the end of this chapter, into the reading, we'll say the phrase, the very words, just to distinguish God's word from my own today. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord, God, appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. 
that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plan. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Thanks, MC. So we see God delivers Nineveh, extends his mercy and grace to them, and Jonah's not happy about that. And what happens in this chapter really is we begin to see this struggle and this tension that Jonah is facing. Now, now before we just discard Jonah as this loser guy who doesn't get it, and this is somebody we need to, you know, look at it, just, you know, maybe not even have pity for, but just like, you know, just get, get frustrated with because like, hey, how do you not get this Jonah? Before we do that, I want us to really stop and think just for a minute and maybe approach this story with a little bit of compassion and understanding for Jonah. Because in all honesty, Jonah was struggling with some really significant big things and big questions. And the reason I want us to maybe pause and, and not just rush to judgment or not judgment is the wrong word, rush to just discard Jonah as just kind of, you know, just hopeless, helpless, you know, just, he's, he just needs to just go ahead and, you know, we're glad that the story's over. We don't care about him anymore kind of thing. I want us to look at this from the context of Jonah in a lot of ways is like us, or at least if I'm honest, he's like me. That there are times and there are things that happen in life and in this world that are, are hard for us to really get our minds and our hearts around, even when it comes to how God is working. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through this. and I want to ask four questions as we walk through this chapter. And take a look at, at Jonah and his response. I want to look at kind of how God responds to Jonah's response in that. I want to look at really what this means for us and kind of where we move forward coming from here. So if you're taking notes, pull out your worship guide. Um, I got some, some notes there for you just to follow along. So first question is this, is how did Jonah respond to God's mercy toward Nineveh? Well, Jonah was angry at God's mercy toward Nineveh. Jonah was angry at God's mercy toward Nineveh, which may sound kind of funny, but, but we'll talk more about that. Look at Jonah 4.1. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Displeased literally means in the original language that it was evil to Jonah. That Jonah thought and saw that what God did in giving mercy to the Ninevites was not a good thing. It was, in fact, an evil thing. And it's a shocking response in some ways because you look at it and say, oh my gosh, look at what God just did. This pagan city turned and repented and changed, but he was angry. Well, why was he angry? Well, commentators, you could throw out different ideas. It could have been this narrow-minded nationalism and prejudice that it was Israel first and this was Israel's enemy. So I want nothing good for them because they're not of Israel. It could have been an awareness that the Assyrians, the, 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 the country of the, of, uh, that Nineveh was in, would eventually defeat Israel. So he was upset about God's mercy because it strengthened an enemy. 
It could have been his personal reputation was on the line. That, you know, on one hand, he was part of God delivering the great enemy of Israel. On the other hand, he had predicted something would happen, and it didn't happen. Neither one of those put Jonah in a good light when it came to being a prophet. He maybe just misunderstood who God was and how God could be just both just and merciful. You know, at his worst, I think he cared little for the lives of the Ninevites. He was bitter and he was bigoted. At his best, maybe he just had a limited view of God, who he was, what it meant that he was a God of mercy and grace, and that he had a different plan and a different way he was going to protect his people of Israel. Whatever the reasoning is, we see that Jonah was angry. And his actions and his words, I think, are revealing to us. And so here's the second question. What caused Jonah to respond this way? What caused him to be so angry? We talked about four kind of things, but, but really I think there's two major ideas of what caused Jonah to be angry. The first one is this. I think Jonah had a theological problem. That Jonah had a theological problem. He had a belief issue. Namely this is that Jonah was struggling with two parts of God's character. He struggled with God's justice on one hand and God's mercy on the other. He struggled with God's justice on one hand and God's mercy on the other. He was having a hard time understanding what he believed about God and what God had done. He had a hard time understanding what he, he, he put his hope in and trust in when it came to God and, and how God responded in this situation. And so he had a belief problem. He had a theological issue. Look what he says in Jonah 4 verse 2. Said, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So we, we get some insight into Jonah's thinking in this moment of why he ran the opposite direction in chapter one. But we also get a glimpse on maybe this ongoing argument in his mind and heart between he and God. Basically, he says this, I didn't want to go to the, to the nation of the Syria. I didn't want to go to the Ninevites. I didn't want to preach and proclaim your grace and mercy and repentance because I knew that you would let them off. I knew that you'd be merciful to them. What's the problem with that? Jonah didn't want mercy for the Ninevites. God was not going to respond the way that Jonah wanted God to respond. And so we see this ongoing tension and struggle of, hey, listen, here's why I didn't want to do this. Because I knew in the first place that you're a God who is gracious and merciful. And I just knew that I would go all this way. I would proclaim judgment coming. And then you are going to be merciful to them. And I don't want your mercy for the Ninevites. Jonah, in essence, is saying back to God what he knew about God from the Old Testament scriptures. Look at Exodus 34, 6 and 7. It said, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. This is God's encounter with Moses. It says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast, steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generations. Jonah's basically saying back to God in, in these, these verses that we just read that, listen, I knew who you were. You're gracious. You're merciful. You're slow to anger. But what he leaves out is what we see in this Exodus passage that God, while being merciful, 
patient, loving, slow to anger. It also says that he will not let sin go. He will not just clear the guilty. But Jonah doesn't bring that up because he's saying, listen, I'm not seeing that in you, God. I'm seeing the mercy, but I'm not seeing the justice. And I'm having a hard time because what I want in this situation is for the God of of justice to show up and punish the enemy. See, Jonah had a problem with the Ninevites, but he had a bigger problem with God. God did not show up in this situation the way that Jonah thought God should show up. And so this created kind of a, a theological tension, a belief tension in what he believed about God, but what he saw God doing. And he had a hard time putting those two things together. But it wasn't just that he had a, a belief issue or a theological issue. It really dives deeper than that. I think when you look at this passage, look at this, this chapter, you see that Jonah also had a heart problem. He had a heart problem. He was a good pastor. I was going to say he had a head problem and a heart problem because they both start with H. But I resisted because everybody makes fun of me for doing that, right? But that's really what he had. He had a problem up here and he had a problem in here. The problem up here was what I believe about God, what I know to be true about God, I'm not seeing. And so I'm having a hard time reconciling those two things together. But the bigger issue, I think maybe, was that he had a heart issue. He had a heart problem when it came to how he viewed and saw the situation and how he saw the Ninevites. I think it kind of works out in several ways. I think number one, he suffered from pride. I think this passage we see time and time again, even throughout the, throughout the, the, the book of Jonah, we see that, that Jonah had this, this, uh, this uh, superiority about him, especially when it came to his view of himself and his view of the, the Ninevites. But I think we see this pride playing out in several ways. One is, 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 is how he asked God to end his life just because he didn't get his way. It's pretty prideful to say, God, I, don't, I think you were wrong, so I want to be right, so just kill me. Look at Jonah 4, 3. It says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, you do well to be angry. Right? So Jonah says, listen, you didn't do what I want. I would rather die. Well, how is that prideful? Well, it's prideful because when you look at everything that God had done for Jonah up to this point, it's prideful for Jonah to say, listen, all that you've done, including saving my life, I don't care about that anymore. I just want my way. I just want to die. And this is Jonah was saying, I don't want to live in a world where your mercy is extended to the Ninevites. I would rather you just go ahead and end my life. We see that pride in the way he viewed his relationship with God. You know, basically it was this, God, if you'll do X, then I'll worship you this way. If you do what I want, then I will proclaim your goodness and I will worship you. But if you don't do what I want, I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to follow you. In fact, just go ahead and kill me in my life now. In so many ways, Jonah in this moment is like the, the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. You know, there's a man that had, Jesus tells the story of a man that had two sons. The younger son came to him and said, dad, can I have my inheritance now while you're still living? which basically means, hey, I really don't want you. I just want your money. The dad gives him the money, sends him off. He squanders it, wastes it, finds himself just, you know, in, in the, just with nothing. Goes back hoping to at least just be a servant in his father's house. The father, in seeing the son return, rejoices, runs to him, throws a party, 
slaughters the fattened calf, puts robe on him, puts rings on him, and just celebrating the fact that he came back. And the whole time there was an older brother who never left, never squandered his money. In his mind, he'd done everything right. And he gets mad. He gets mad because of the father's mercy toward the prodigal son. In the same way, Jonah is kind of this way as the older, as the older brother. He's saying, listen, I, I don't want your mercy for them. And because you won't do X, then I, I don't want to do Y. We see also how this pride and how he viewed others. You know, namely in how he viewed the Ninevites. He didn't want God's mercy for them. He didn't feel like they were worthy of God's mercy because they were not his people. Well, we see a glimpse of this all the way back in Jonah chapter two, verse eight and nine. If you go back to Jonah chapter two, Jonah's in the belly of the fish. God has saved him. He's recalling how God saved him. He's proclaiming God's goodness in, in that way. But, but in, in that time, he's saying, listen, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm turning back to you. I'm gonna do what you say. But he does so by pointing out how he's better than a certain group of people. Look at this. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Who's he referring to in that statement? Probably the sailors. Remember the sailors on the boat, when the storm came up, what did they do? They prayed, they they called out to their gods, to their idols. He's saying, God, listen, I didn't do that. Now forget the fact that I was running the storm with my whole fault, right? But I, I wasn't like them. They, I, I, I look to you. It says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you for what I vowed I will pay. So we see that he had this air of pride about him. We also see that he had pride in, in the fact that he just ignored God's voice. Look at uh, Jonah 4, verse 4. It says, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? So God comes to him again in this, showing his mercy. Because God could have just said, you know what, Jonah? I'm done. Right? You're, you're, you're done. I'm tired of this. But God comes to him and engages with him. And he asks him a question. Basically this, hey, do you feel like it's right to be angry? Do you feel like, you, you, you feel like this is okay? And why are you so angry? Well, what does Jonah do? He ignores the, ignores the voice of the Lord. See, Jonah had a hard issue. And part of that was that he suffered from pride. Second, he suffered from wrong priorities. What mattered most to Jonah in this situation wasn't what mattered most to God in this situation. What mattered most to Jonah? Well, one thing I believe is what mattered most was his nation and the destruction of who he believed to be and saw as and literally was his enemy. Look at Jonah 4 verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see, till he should see what would become of the city. So God delivers the people. So he says he's gonna relent. What does Jonah do? Well, I wanna make sure. So he goes and he, he camps out where he can see the city and he's just waiting. Like hoping that God's gonna change his mind and like a you know meteor from heaven will just come down and boom, you know? That would Jonah be so excited in that moment. He's just sitting there hoping and waiting that God changes his mind. Why? So this city will be destroyed. See, his priority was he wanted Nineveh destroyed. God's priority was he wanted Nineveh to come to know him, to be forgiven. 
You many commentators who read this say that, that an unhealthy nationalism was at part of the heart of what led Jonah astray from the word of the Lord. Tim Keller in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, says this, that Nineveh's repentance was pleasing for God, but threatened Israel's national interest. And Jonah in that moment was more about Israel's interest than he was about the people of Nineveh. Keller goes on to say this, that we know from history that Assyria eventually destroyed the 10 northern tribes of Israel. So Jonah was not unrealistic in his fears, yet God was calling him to put his word and the spiritual good of people ahead of Israel's interest. So Zach, you're telling me that, 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 that Jonah, even though he had good reason to fear the people, was wrong in putting his interest before what God wanted. Absolutely. And we see that because we have the book right here. What does that mean? Well, it means this, that even good things in our life, when they become the main thing, can become bad things. That our priorities need to line up with the priorities of God. We talk a lot on, on our staff that really are, you know, when we look at what's important and what should be important to us in terms of ministry is the purposes of God, people, and then programs. That the purposes of God, what God wants more than anything else should be the most important thing that we have and we focus on. People are next. Then our plans, our desires, our interests, and what we want to do as a church. But that's the right order. Jonah suffered from wrong priorities. He also suffered from self-centeredness. You know, God again comes to Jonah, and we can't miss this. God's mercy, his compassion, and his love keeps coming to Jonah, even as Jonah's sitting on a hill, hoping for the destruction of a giant city. God is still wanting him to understand his grace and his mercy. Look at this, Jonah 4, 6 through 8. And he, he does this in, in like a, a, it's kind of a practical lesson. It says, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. Just real quick, that appointed, we hear that all throughout. You know, God appointed, God was behind all the things that were happening. So they made this plant come up over Jonah that it might shade over his head and save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So, so God is wanting Jonah to see, listen, that you, you've got a priority issue, but you also have a selfish issue. And you see that in how he responds. When God provides the plant to give him shade, what does he do? God, you're great. You're awesome. I'm happy about that. When God sends the worm and the plant goes away and the, the hot wind comes up, what does he do? Oh, I want to die. You have this constant back and forth in the story of Jonah. That when God works in the way that Jonah thinks, God is good. When God works in a different way than Jonah thinks, God is not good. Kill me now. But if we're honest, how many times do we respond that same way? God, would you do X? God, would you do Y? God, would you do this? And God does it. And man, we're so excited. But then we play, hey, God, we pray, well, God, would you do this? Or God, would you, you not do this? And, and what, we, what we ask for doesn't happen the way that we wanted it to. And what do we do? We get angry. We get bitter. We distance from God. 
Why? Because self-centeredness is, is a poison and a part of all of our hearts because of a sinful nature. But God again comes to Jonah. Look at verse nine says, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Meaning again, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? This time Jonah's had enough. He says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. At least he's talking again. He was so wrapped up in what he wanted, his comfort, his plans, his desires. That he missed what God was wanting to teach him, even in this moment. And that caused him to suffer from a lack of compassion. Look at Jonah 4, 10 through 11. So the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished in the night. So basically, listen, you're really upset about this plant, like really upset. Verse 11 says, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Like, don't forget the cattle, right? See, listen, you're all upset over a plant, but yet you weren't upset at the potential destruction of 120,000 people. His self-centeredness created this lack of compassion. Question three, well, how did the story end? We don't know. We don't know. Some of you guys are like, I'm really disappointed now. Four weeks in a row, I was here. I want to know what happened. I do too. I don't know. Did Jonah finally get it? Did he finally repent? Did he sit out there and get sunburned waiting for the city to be destroyed for another two years? I don't know. There's lots of speculation, which I think it doesn't really matter in some ways. This is where ancient Eastern culture and Western culture are different. See, Western culture, we want it to be tied up and we want to know what happened. We want it to be all figured out. Eastern culture and literature says the end is really not the point. It's what you kind of learn through the journey. So we don't know. Well, then what's the point? Well, the point's this, is we don't know Jonah's story ended and how it ended. But we know that our story's not over. We don't know how Jonah's story ended. But all we do know is that our story's not over. And we know that when we hear the word of the Lord, we're called to obey the word of the Lord. So what is God wanting us to do in response to his words today? I think God wants us to be different than Jonah. See, Jonah experienced God's mercy, but he didn't live a life of mercy. I think God wants for us to experience God's mercy and to live a life of mercy. So here's the last question quickly. Well, then how can we live a life of mercy? Jonah had a theological problem. He had a belief issue. A lot of times we suffer with that same question. God, I don't get it. God, I don't understand. God, what I thought isn't what came to be. What I believed is not what I'm seeing. And then we have a heart issue. We get focused on ourselves and we, we pull back in. Well, how do we push past that? Well, a couple things quickly. How do we live a life of mercy? Number one, we have to learn to trust in the goodness of God. We have to learn to trust in the goodness of God. 
How do we understand that God can be both just and merciful? How can he bring judgment in one situation, be merciful in another? How do we understand that, 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 that God in, in those times can, can be trusted in? And when it seems like he's just randomly doing different things. When he answers this prayer, but not that prayer, he works in this way, but not that way. How, what do we do? We have to learn to trust in the goodness of God. What does that mean? It means God is always good in who he is and everything he does. So when God brings judgment or consequence, it's good and right. When God is merciful, it's good and right. When God answers the prayer that we, we want in the way that we want it, guess what it means? God is good and right. When God doesn't answer the prayer in the way that we wanted or the way that we wanted to have, have, it, have, have it happen, what does it mean? God is good and right. Why? Because God is always good. Psalm 34, 8 says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. To taste and see that the Lord is good and learn to trust in the goodness of God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will straight, will make straight your paths. And listen, it's not about our ability to understand how and why. It's trusting in the goodness of God. We have trust in the goodness of God. And how, how do we know that it, this all kind of makes sense? Well, we have something that Jonah didn't. We have the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to look at. See, God can be merciful to us because he was just and that Jesus died for our sin. So when God relents and God gives mercy for sin, it doesn't mean that that, that sin was, was looked over. It means that Jesus took that sin on the cross. He paid the penalty for it. So we need to learn to trust the goodness of God. And second, we need to choose a better way of living. Choose a better way of living. Look at what Micah says, the prophet Micah in Micah 6, 8. says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness? A lot of translations, it really, it's mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. So we're to, we're to choose a better way of living. We need to choose to be humble. Humble before God. Humble before others. We need to choose the right priorities, not the wrong priorities. We need to choose the right priorities, not the wrong priorities. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 6, He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That we're to keep the kingdom first, God's plans, God's purposes before anything else and everything else. We need to choose to be selfless and not self-centered. Choose to be selfless and not self-centered, meaning that my desire, my good is not the most important thing for my life. Jesus modeled this. Jesus taught this. Look at Matthew 22, 37, 39. It's the essence of the great commandment. Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in, in, all of, in all of scripture, all of the law? And he said this, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That the most important thing is to love God and to love others. Well, how did Jesus love others? He served others. 
in a selfless way. You know, so often we view the world, what we consider based, important based on what affects us only. But putting others first means we begin to view life and situations not just for our good and benefit, but for the benefit of others. And we need to choose to be compassionate. Compassion is really this. It means to care, to be brokenhearted for others in a way that leads us to action. See, Jonah had a theological problem. Jonah had a heart problem. Sometimes we have a theological problem. Sometimes we have a heart problem. What do we do about that? We learn to trust in the goodness of God. Come back to who God is and that everything he does is good, even if it doesn't seem good or right to us. And we choose a better way, a way that's reflective of the life of Jesus. So what's our response today? We'll have a couple questions for you and then we'll conclude. First is this, is have you experienced the mercy of God in Jesus? Because the reality is there's no way for us to be merciful if we've not first experienced the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. If we've never put our faith and our trust in him, if we've never confessed our sin to him, if we've never believed in him for who he said he is and believed in what he said he has done, and if we've never committed our life to following him in his ways, receiving his mercy, we're never gonna be merciful to others the way that God would want us to. It's only when we understand mercy, understand God's mercy, which is what he wants us to get from this, this study, that we'll understand what it means to live with mercy. And that's the second thing is how are you living? Are you living a life of mercy? If not, is it a theological thing, a belief issue that you need to walk through and wrestle through? Or is it simply, is it a heart issue? Or is it both? The book of Jonah is not about Jonah. It's not about a whale or a fish. It's about the mercy of God and how that mercy is extended to us. And that mercy is best lived and expressed in the way that God desires. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we are again grateful for your mercy. God, we are grateful for the the gift of Jesus and the mercy that we we find in him. This God, at the end of the day, without mercy, we, we have nothing. We can't save ourselves from our sin. We can't be good enough to, to earn salvation. We can't be good enough to stand in your sight because the perfect God, you, you, you can't be around sin. But because Jesus took on our sin, he has given us through our faith in him righteousness and right standing before you guys so that we can know you as our perfect heavenly father. And so God, today I pray that you would help us to, to experience your mercy and your grace. And God, that you would help us to to live a life of mercy and grace. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.